Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. All right, everyone. Well, uh, as Shane said, not many churches talk about the persecuted church, but unlike Shane, I think I know the reason why. Uh, we're terrified. <laughs> and, and this includes me. Right? Everything Shane just said about that beautiful invitation by Jesus to come before him, to be in front of him. It's wonderful. It's glorious. But how do we become people who can stand before perfection? How do we stand before God, particularly when we know, oh, you know, that thing I did this morning, I don't even think I can look on his face yet. And what I'm going to talk about today, actually, Shane summed it up very well. So I'll try and throw in a few more stories and uh, make it a bit more interesting if I can, because you've already heard it. And Shane did an exceptional job. Shane, thank you so much for always caring for the persecuted church and allowing us to come in and, and listening to John and Jill and, and Cliff who have this on their heart. Thank you for allowing us. So the persecuted church are just these amazing people who are summed up as people. They're like you and I in every way. You know, they have struggles. They have high points. They have low points. And just like you and I, they have one purpose for their lives. Their one purpose for being. God created them for one thing, just like he created us for that one thing. That one thing is to worship. Worship is the point of our lives. I have some slides that people who are on the slides today are going to have to keep up with it. Sorry. Yeah, it's worship. We are created to worship. And in our lives, uh, when we worship, everything is an act of worship. Being created to worship, no matter what we do, we are always worshiping something. Sometimes we get it wrong. I had a tendency for many, many years, including sometimes this year to my own, you know, unfortunate admission, that sometimes I would say I'm living for the weekend. And that demonstrates that I'm worshipping the weekend. I'm worshipping that moment when I'm outside of work. And that's what happens when we worship the wrong thing. It just creeps into our lives. And when that happens, we get distracted. We're looking around, but we're created to worship God. And sometimes we don't always feel like we have that heart that wants to worship God. Sometimes we feel that brokenness. In the persecuted church, we see that all the time. But as Shane just said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so let me tell you a story of somebody who is poor in spirit and yet comes before Jesus. And that person in the Bible never gets named. So let's go. If you've got a Bible with you, open it up to Luke chapter 7. This is amazing, folks. I see a lot of people moving for their Bibles this morning. That's really exciting. A lot of churches I go into, people sort of just wait until I put it on the screen. But I'm going to do that too. So in Luke chapter 7, we're going to go from verse 36, and I put it across a few different slides, uh, because it's a bit of a passage. All right, so Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36, and this, I believe, 
It's a great story of worship. Starts out. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have the dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So he came there, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Two people who owed money to a certain moneylender, one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But for whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests begin to say, began to say among themselves, who is even this man who, forgi- who can forgive sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is somebody whose you know, heart is broken, possibly weak in spirit, and yet lays everything at the feet of Jesus, wetting his feet with her tears, wiping it with her hair, pouring perfume on his feet. This is a beautiful heart of worship. This is an act of worship. And everything we do in our lives is worship. Now, there's many examples in the Bible of what worship looks like. My favorite is in 2 Samuel, and I won't enact it for you, but it's, it's where King David rips off his clothes and he starts to dance as he sees the Ark of the Covenant brought back into the city. So I said, I won't do it. Don't worry. And everything we do throughout our lives, no matter what it is, is worship. But there's a special place, and we use it in our churches as well, reserved for singing. For crying out to God and making melodious tunes. Something that boils out of us that must express gratitude to God. And it's reserved for God. Because we know that, you know, I am not musical at all. Right? Is, is anybody on the same page with me? You know, you try and make a beautiful sound. You just can't do it. Shane looked over at me very quietly and said, I'm not a clapper. I clap out of tune. And look, that's me too. I can't clap and sing at the same time. But I'm worshiping God and I want to join in and everything is welling out of me to do it. And it's an unmelodious song which God still appreciates because I am perfect in his eyes. Only by the blood of Jesus. 
And it is music which is often what is expressed through the persecuted church. And that is offered up to God as sweet worship. And I have a picture from a church in Tajikistan, which I visited with John and Jill. And we're only in this spot for a minute. But as soon as we stepped into this church, I, I just had this sense that this was a place that people who you know, have given so much up for Jesus come here to worship every week. And we had this amazing, powerful moment of worship while we were in that country. While we were driving to church one day, we were told this story. Uh, the guy who was our, our driver and our guide, he turned around to us and he said, look out that window. At that window, you can see a building. And in that building is one of the other brothers in this city. And he was probably pointing from where I'm standing to the back wall, maybe 100 meters, something like that. And the building was this nondescript, sad, concrete-looking building. And he went on to tell us that that building is the secret police headquarters in this city. And the reason that this brother was being kept in there is that at a routine traffic stop, the police searched his car and they found a book about prayer and a CD with Christian music on it. And because this was deemed extremist literature, he was beaten and sentenced to seven years in prison. It's unbelievable. But it was worth having that music, that worship of God that he could have access to. And we found out later on that the guide who told us this story, it was his daughter who makes and records that music. But for him, no matter what could happen to his daughter, that is a worthy sacrifice that they could worship God in this way. Unbelievable. To allow your children to be at the forefront of that expression of worship that could land you in prison. And it is from a similar place, this broken place, where our hearts say, I maybe am not worthy, and I will probably be known as a sinner, and yet I have something that I want to offer up to God. And then as we saw in that story, Jesus accepts it. Jesus, in fact, honors it. And he says, that is true worship. It's not the worship of somebody who is important that's invited me here to eat but it is the worship of somebody who is known in society as a sinner, somebody who is rejected, who gives everything over to God. That is the worship I honor. And we see this in the persecuted church, people who are not considered important in their society, but yet give everything to God, and God honors that. But this church that we were going to, after we heard that story, we got to the church, and the music was unbelievably loud, probably louder than this morning. You couldn't hear yourself think loud. And this is a country where people are just arrested for nothing, and yet these people are worshipping their hearts out. 
And they want everyone to know they are worshipping Jesus Christ, the risen King. And we join with them this morning when we sing loudly too. It's exciting. But worship is also something that we participate in. You know, when we worship, we don't just sing. We worship with our actions. And you, in supporting the persecuted church, this is actually part of your worship. You are upholding your brothers and sisters around the world who are worshiping alongside you, but you caring, you showing love for them, that is also worship. I want to introduce you to uh, a young girl whose heart was seized by worship. I have a picture of uh, two women from Uganda. And these two women are absolutely amazing. The young girl in this picture, her name is Hadija. And the older woman, although she's a young woman, is Milena. Now, Milena and Hadija are not sisters, not mother-daughter, but Christ brought them together. How it happened was this. Now, Hadija grew up in a part of Uganda, just sort of on the shores of uh, Lake Victoria. And she was from a small fishing village, and her village is one of the very few in Uganda that is a Muslim village. And growing up in a Muslim family, uh, she never heard you know, the Christian gospel. She never heard what Jesus had truly done for her. But when she was five years old, walking down the street one day, she heard this beautiful worship coming from a church. And immediately, Jesus used that to seize her heart. Hadija deviated from walking home to going into the church. And when she went into the church, she heard a sermon about how Jesus loved her more than anything in the world. And she decided, well, that's the Jesus I want to follow. And she gave her heart at the age of five to Jesus. Becoming a Christian, she took herself to church every week by herself, walking back and forth from the church. And this was okay for a few years because her mother didn't mind. But when she reached the age of 11, her mother died. And her father decided to move the family to a new part of the country. When they moved at the age of 11, Hadija again went out by herself, found a new church. Amazing. How many of us know people who've moved to a new town who didn't connect with a new church once they moved town? But this 11-year-old who is just so attracted to worshipping God, she was in it. God absolutely moved her. And so in this new town, at this new church, she started to go. And her father married another woman. But this woman did not approve of Hadijah going to church and told her father about it. And her father said, if you go to church, I will beat you and we will give you no food for school during the week. And Hadijah thought about it and so secretly, she tried to keep going to church, knowing the risk. But her new mother kept telling her father. And so her father, true to his word, would beat her every time she went to church. And during the week, he would tell her mother, do not give her food when she goes to school. Now this went on for quite a while. Hadija would go to church. She would be beaten. 
and she would not get food. And this went on and on and on until eventually Hadija couldn't take it anymore. But instead of abandoning her faith, she went to the pastor of the church and she said, Pastor, please help me. This is what's happening at home. And he immediately gave her some food and he introduced her to Milena. And Milena, who was just a young woman at the time, I think it was about 33, she uh, grew an attachment to 11-year-old Hadija. She heard her story and her heart was broken for her and she said, I'm going to look after you during the week. I'll give you food. You just come talk to me whenever you're hungry. And she would walk her home from church every week as well. But one week, as she walked her home from church, she dropped her off and, and she waited. And that particular week, as she waited, she could hear Hadija's screams escalating and escalating as her father was beating her until she couldn't take it anymore. And she ran inside. And when she ran inside, her father was actually holding a knife. And he had not used it. But he grabbed, Milena grabbed Hadija and ran. And they ran to a different part of the city. And they lived there for a while in secret. And they lived there in secret because they didn't want Hadija's father to know where they were because they didn't know what he would do. So Hadija started to live with Milena. And they lived together for months and months before eventually Hadija's father did find out where they lived. When he found out, he went to their house and he went inside. He did nothing violent, but he stood in front of Hadija and he said, because you have decided to follow this Jesus, you are no daughter of mine. I don't want you to ever come home. But the pastor who put these two together is supported by Open Doors. And has been, we have been working with these two ever since then. Hadija is actually going to a, a great school now and getting a really good education. And Milena has received some small business training and is getting ongoing help with starting up something that can support them both. And Hadija, as sad as her situation is, she says, I'm very happy at the moment. And my only prayer, the only thing I would ask people to pray for me is that my father remembers that I am his daughter. Hadija's heart, through worship, does not reflect anger, but reflects the heart of God. And we see this all around the world. God is moving and moving through worship. As we come and worship God and join in helping people like Milena and Hadija, God sees the sacrifice that we make and he honors that and he says, this is true worship. And now I have a short video to show you, which uh, if this video brings up anything in your particular life as well, please speak to somebody today, Pastor Shane or, or anybody else, any of the elders here at the church. Um, but this is another woman who we've been working with the last few years. I will show you that video from Nigeria. Isn't it amazing? And look, I would say actually clap because Shahaba Community Church, it is by your support that we can keep doing those things. You are enabling us to do these trauma programs. 
Thank you so much for partnering with us in this. I'm praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters. Because the challenges are real. But with this heart of worship which you already show, and this worship which we offer up to God, He sees it. And He responds to it. And I think in James we get an incredible picture of how this is truly worship. But I'll get to that in a second. Because sometimes in the persecuted church, we can feel like this is something that could stop us from worshipping. And it's true, the enemy does want us to cease worship so that we would replace it with worship of other things. But the truth is he can't take away our worship. And I have an incredible quote from a Pakistani woman, uh, which we got somebody to write in beautiful calligraphy for us. And she summarized it perfectly. She said, We celebrate Easter knowing that any time a suicide bonnet can come and disrupt our service, our worship, our praying. But then I think, will it really disrupt us? Or will it send us into the fullness of worship? Because in Tajikistan, you know, there's things that the government does to try and stop the worship. But the truth is, this life is just a glimpse of the worship that will be. When we stand before God and we cry out, made perfect, made whole, God, how great you are. And we all make that decision. I would say, if you haven't made that decision yet, have a think in your life. As I go through my week, what am I living for? And is that what I'm worshipping? But let me tell you what good and right worship looks like in the Christian life. In the Christian life. And let me show you a picture of Esther and Hadija again. In the Christian life, in James chapter 1, verse 27, it says, Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The outcomes of our worship is to care for the orphans and the widows. And we do that. As a church, you are participating in that. Thank you so much for that. And that is our purpose in life. So let me encourage you, as a church, I see you very much marching down the one narrow, difficult path. And it's exciting to see. And I want to say as well, For those of you who, you know, see this today and your heart is particularly touched for the persecutor because you may not have heard of it before, uh, I want to encourage you, if you want to become an individual giver to this and receive prayer points specifically, come chat to me up the back and I want to give you one of these to help you start on that journey. And think of it like a subscription, right? Just match a subscription you already have in your life and subscribe to the survival of the persecuted church. You don't have to do anything new. 
just match a subscription you have. If you want to do that, I want to chat to you. Because the persecuted church as well are incredible mentors for our own spiritual health. You might ask, how? Well, every persecutor believer I have met has taught me something amazing. Whether it be about worship or prayer, there is so much that I have learned in my own walk about how to follow God. And they want to share that with you. So come chat to me if that's you. But I want to invite the, the band back up. And uh, I want to also ask, if in your life you maybe thought about Jesus before, and you're coming here, and you're thinking, you know what? If true religion is about helping the orphans and the widows in their distress, well, that sounds like religion I can get on board with. But the truth is, you know, I feel like sometimes I'm a bit broken. Or maybe the worship I have to give at the moment, it doesn't feel quite right. Well, as I read out before, there is a woman who is known only in the Bible to us as a sinner. That is her only label. But to Jesus, what she had to give, which was her heart, that was more than enough. And Jesus was ready to embrace her. Not the religious person, but the sinner. And in your life, if you want to be embraced, regardless of any fault, regardless of what you think you may have to offer, Jesus just is saying to you, come. Come speak to me. And if it's a broken heart, that's the heart I want to mend. Because as we saw with Esther in that video, she believes she is the most beloved of God in the whole world, despite what has happened to her. God never abandoned her. God was walking with her that whole time. And while for a while it felt like God wasn't there, he was saying, I love you. I love you dearly. And she came to see that again. And Hadija, despite the difficulties she has with her father, her heart is still seized by worship. And she wants to worship God. And she has peace when she does. A peace that transcends all understanding. We cannot possibly understand God's heart, but he loves us so much. And if that's you, if you want to have that question answered, can I worship God? Will God accept me? The answer is absolutely yes. Now I know that so many people in this church want to have a conversation with you about that today. If that is you today, don't let it pass you by. I want you to seek somebody out, anyone who you've seen up here, anyone you have seen at the door as you walked in, anyone who looks like a familiar, friendly face to you, ask that person, what do I do to have Jesus say, I love you? I guarantee you the answer is going to be simple.
But I see some people up the back as well. And so I would say, go to these people up the back. Go for prayer because they want to pray with you. And even if you have accepted Jesus in your life, but you want prayer because you feel that brokenness and you want to worship your whole heart out, before the end of this next song, go seek prayer because they want to lay hands on you and they want you to feel that touch of heaven. Now, as believers, we make a decision, and it's a hard decision. But we say, no matter the cost, no matter what has happened in my life, I am not turning back. And we want to proclaim that as believers. But if anyone has made that decision this morning, I want you to remember that as you go up the back. But let me pray for us before we do that as a congregation. Father, we thank you that you came and sought us out. That despite any brokenness, despite what we might have done in the world, despite what anybody else has done, you sent your son, Jesus, for us. And you came to us. Father, we thank you that you took the first step. That no matter what, you remind us of how great you are and that you just want us to worship. And God, we come before you now in worship. We ask for forgiveness. But Lord, we ask as well that you would fill us up to send us out again on fire and in love with you like never before. And all his people said, Amen.